All right, here we are. Welcome to the Simple Power Podcast, where we think practically about the presence and the power of God. I'm Duke Lamastra. I'm your host. And in this week's episode, we are going to analyze a story of one of the miracles that Jesus performed. And I want to pull out some things from this story. It's going to be in John chapter 9. And we're going to look at three uh, aspects of a religious spirit. More specifically, three things, three attitudes that can actually hinder you from experiencing a move of God, from experiencing the presence and the power of God in your personal life. So stay tuned for that. We'll be there in just a minute. Just want to mention to you uh, my website for some more resources, simplepowermedia.com. That's my online media platform. You can find all kinds of resources and training, audios and videos and different things. We've got three books up available for you there now. Uh, My original book, Simple Power, which was really the catalyst for this whole podcast. Uh, My wife's book, The Intimacy of Worship by Denise Lamastra. Oh my gosh, if you are looking for a book on worship, that book is fantastic. Even if you're not, because uh, (laughs) it goes way beyond uh, what a lot of people understand in terms of worship to a worship lifestyle and really developing uh, intimacy with God in a really, really simple yet profound way. So check out that book, The Intimacy of Worship by my wife, Denise Lamastra. And I also have a brand new book out called What Is God Saying? Really simple, practical, sort of a step-by-step guide to kind of walk you through the different ways that God speaks and learning to grow in experiencing the voice of God in your personal life. So you can check all of that out at simplepowermedia.com. All right, well, let's dive into this. If you are able to, I would really recommend you following along with a Bible. Obviously, if you're driving right now, don't do that. But uh, if you're somewhere where you're stationary, grab a Bible or pull it up on your phone and go with me to John chapter 9. (laughs) Because I'm going to do something that I've never done on here before, but I really find it necessary. I'm going to read through pretty much this entire chapter of the book of John. Don't worry, I'm not just going to like read it straight out to you, but we're going to read some verses and we'll pause and we'll read some more verses and pause. This is a story of Jesus healing a man who had been blind his entire life. He was born blind and now he's an adult and he's still blind. He's never seen a moment in his life. Jesus heals the man But I want to actually uh, point out to you three different people or groups of people from this story. And we're going to look at three different attitudes of a religious spirit or three different attitudes or mindsets that can actually cause you to miss out on the moving of God in your life and uh, miss out on a move of God that's taking place around you. Because one thing that that we can all agree on is that the Pharisees, the scribes, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, the vast, vast majority of them missed out on the Messiah. They missed out on what Jesus was doing. They were right in the midst of it just like everybody else. In fact, they were probably more present (laughs) than most of the other people because they were analyzing it. They were uh, scrutinizing every move that Jesus made. They were there. They were trying. They were being critical. They were trying to find something where they could accuse him and condemn him. So they were there, but their mind was not right. Their attitude was wrong. They were operating from a religious spirit instead of a broken and contrite spirit. They were, they were not operating from a place of, uh, I need this, I need God. They were operating from a place of, we already know everything. They were operating from a religious spirit and they missed out on what Jesus was there to do and what he was there to offer them. They missed out on true salvation because their mindset was completely in a different place. So I want to look at this story. I'm going to start reading. And like I said, we'll take some pauses and we'll go through. 
and uh, hopefully um, this will this will make sense. All right. So, John chapter nine verse one. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, "Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents?" that he was born blind. Okay, so there's the first attitude right there. So the first group of people that I want to sort of look at here is the disciples because they see this guy and he's sitting there and he's blind. He's been blind from birth. Like I said, he's already an adult, which we'll see later on in the story. He's been, he was born blind and he's been blind his entire life. And so the disciples, their natural inclination was to think, who sinned, Jesus? Was, did he sin or was it his parents' fault? And that's why he was born blind. Look at, look at what Jesus says in verse 3. Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So again, the the attitude of the disciples, and I believe that this is part of a religious spirit. Now, I don't think that they meant any harm. They were learning. They were new at this. So I'm not, you know, blaming and condemning and stuff like that. But the thing is, they, they had this attitude that in order for this man to have been born blind, then there has to be, it has to be because he messed up or because his parents messed up. It has to be because of sin. And how many times have religious people, you've probably experienced this before, how many times do religious people point the finger and blame people and condemn people and say, it's because of your sin, it's because you're not right with God and God can't bless you because of this and God can't bless you because of that. And guess what? That is not why Jesus came. Jesus came and he fulfilled the law of the old covenant, the Old Testament law, and he actually came to get rid of, to do away with the curse of the law. We are free from the curse of the law. We're free from the the curse of you have to do this in order to get God's blessing. You have to do this in order to get that. But they didn't understand that. And so their mindset was, was in this place of, you know what, if you're not experiencing blessing in this area, or if you're dealing with problems, or if you're sick, or if you have this... Um, financial situation or you know whatever you want to fill in that blank with if you've got that going on then it must mean that you've sinned it must mean that you're not doing something right it must mean that God's not happy with you it must mean that whatever and so again they were asking questions they were inquisitive they were not like the religious leaders in terms of these ideas of we have everything right we have it all figured out they were there they were learning so again I'm not condemning the disciples for asking the question. It's a good thing they did ask the question because Jesus was able to respond to them and it became a teaching moment. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. So Jesus is like, look, this is not about sin. Now, all sickness and all disease and all poverty and all the problems that this world is dealing with is the result of sin. It is the result of original sin or the fall of man. All of the problems that we face in life are the result of the fall of man because we live in a sinful, fallen world. But what Jesus was saying was this is not a direct result of his sin and this is not a direct result of his parents' sin. So stop blaming, stop pointing the finger. As you know, there's a whole lot of blaming and pointing the finger and ostracizing people that goes on all around the world, but in the body of Christ as well. And it's just simply not the right way. 
Jesus is like, hey, look, that's not what this is about. It's not about his sin. It's not about his parents' sin. It's, but, but look, in this situation, we're going to take this opportunity to put the glory of God on display. All right. And so if the disciples had just continued on in that vein of thinking and they were like, well, he must be uh, in this situation because of something he did, or he must be in the situation because of something that his family did, then they were poised to miss out on this moment of breakthrough. But so Jesus comes in and he begins to teach and to instruct. And he's like, no, 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 your thinking is in the wrong place. That is not what this is about. Okay, so a religious spirit will always blame. It will point the finger and it will give reasons why, listen to this, a religious spirit will give reasons why a miracle cannot or should not take place. A religious spirit will condemn and judge and create excuses for why these situations exist and why the power of God is not permitted in this situation. And Jesus just did not uh, come under that kind of thing. He did not operate in that kind of a religious spirit. He operated in the the power of the Holy Spirit that lived within him. And so he went into this situation just like he went into so many situations and he was able to... um, really draw from the supernatural power of God, the resources of heaven in order to bring breakthrough into the situation. Why? Because he wasn't caught up judging people and condemning people and creating excuses for lack of power. All right. So a religious spirit will always create excuses for lack of power. Let's keep going. Verse six. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Just don't create doctrine on that. You know, if you if you got to pray for somebody who's um, who's blind, my suggestion to you is don't spit on them. <laughs> don't spit on the ground. Don't make don't put dirt and mud on their eyes. Like uh, that, Jesus did this in this case, but uh, that's not that doesn't mean that you got to do that every time you pray for someone who's blind. All right, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. That was verse seven, verse eight. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, is this not he who sat and begged? Some said, this is he. Others said, he is like him. But the man, he said, I am he. (laughs) Therefore, they said to him, how were your eyes opened? So they begin to ask questions. How were your eyes opened? He answered and said, a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received sight. And they said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. Now, when we go on to verse 13, they brought him who was formerly blind to the Pharisees. Now, it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay. Okay, so now we're in trouble because Jesus healed the guy on the Sabbath. That was a reoccurring problem that Jesus healed people, that he worked miracles, that he did things like this, that he demonstrated love and compassion. He demonstrated the heart of the Father by healing people and setting people free He got in so, well, they tried to get him into so much trouble because he did these things on the Sabbath. And so they're, they're, now they, now they have something that they can complain about. And so that's what religious spirit, you know, people are always looking for is something to complain about, something to condemn. So it was the Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Verse 15, then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. He said to them, he put clay in my eyes and I washed and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. 
Others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. They said to the blind man again, Again, excuse me, What do you say about him because he opened your eyes? He said he is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. So what are these religious leaders doing? They're trying to figure out like, any possible explanation. They're like, nah, that, that's not the same guy. That can't be him. Then they find out, no, it really was him. And then it's like, you know, they're, they're trying to figure out all these different things, all these different reasons to try to deny this miracle that took place. So now they're going to call his parents and they ask them, verse 19, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son, that he was born blind, but by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age, so that tells you there that he is an adult. He's of age, ask him, he will speak for himself. Now look at verse 22, because this is the second attitude that I want to point out. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. All right. Now, the second attitude. So the first attitude that we pointed out was this attitude of the disciples that there had to be sin involved. And so it was just sort of this judgmental um, attitude that's related to the religious spirit. Now, Here's the next one that I want to point out. It's the attitude of fear or the motivation of fear. Now, this is about the parents of this man who had been born blind and had lived his whole life blind and he had received his sight. Now, there's a great conflict going on because of the fact that the miracle took place on the Sabbath. All right. Now, a religious spirit gets mad when you get healed on the Sabbath because it does not operate from a place of love and from a place of compassion. So that's where the Pharisees were. And let me just, you know, jump ahead here. That's the third attitude that I'm going to point out is the attitude of the Pharisees or of the religious leaders of that time. But before we get there, I just want to point out to you the attitude of the parents. Now, in this situation, I do not blame them. And I'm definitely not, you know, condemning them or anything like that or judging their attitude. Because in this case, I really don't believe that it was their fault. But it says that they feared the Jews. And so that's why they were trepidatious in their, in the way that they were answering the questions because they feared that if they said the wrong thing, that they would be thrown out of the synagogue. And so the reason I want to point this out as fear is because fear is this oppressive thing. There's a verse and I I didn't, it just came into my mind right now. I didn't uh, look it up, but it's in Isaiah. And God is saying, uh, as a, uh, it's a prophetic, you know, word through Isaiah, God is saying, you will be far from oppression for you shall not fear. So when fear does not exist, there, there's no oppression there. So the, the inverse of that is where there is fear, there is oppression. And so the people of God were oppressed in this time because they were part of a religious system that was largely controlled by fear. And it was controlled by these religious leaders that really did not have the best interests of the people in mind. Now, I can't say that all of them were like that, but generally speaking, that's the idea of what was going on at the time. There was a manipulative thing going on and a lot of it operated out of fear. So let me tell you, attitude number two, a religious spirit operates in fear. 
okay? And if you want to name something that will help you to miss out on a move of God, to miss out on the supernatural, to miss out on the power of God flowing in your life the way you want it to and the way that God wants to break through in your life, fear has definitely got to be at the top of that list. I'm not talking about like the natural, you know, kind of fear where like, you know, you you get freaked out because you see a spider or, you know, whatever. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a spirit of fear. 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I should probably teach on that at some point. <laughs> but he's not giving you a spirit of fear. Fear does not come from God. The enemy operates out of fear. So this is a actually demonic thing. Fear becomes demonic in nature when it gets into that place of a spirit of fear. Again, to be afraid of a spider, to be afraid of a snake, to be afraid, you know, because someone pulled a gun out and, you know, like, like that's not a spirit of fear. That's normal. That's not demonic, right? But once you begin to engage with the fear and to partner with it, it can very quickly become a demonic force and a stronghold and something that can hinder you and hold you back. So again, in this case, I'm not blaming the parents. The parents were a part of a system that was designed to keep them oppressed. Now, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt in this story. We don't have information on them, so we truly don't know. But just for the sake of this discussion, I'm going to assume that that the parents were great people. They had raised their son well. They took care of him. They were good, godly people. They went to the synagogue. They wanted to make the right sacrifices. They wanted to do all these things. Unfortunately, they were part of a system that operated um, largely through fear. And so they had this fear that if they said the wrong thing, that if they spoke out and actually declared what had happened, that they would be excommunicated. Now to be excommunicated was actually a big deal. Because it wasn't just like, oh, well, the Baptist church kicked me out, so now I can go to Second Baptist, or I can go to the Presbyterian church, or I can go to the Pentecostal church. Like, it wasn't like that. It was, they got excommunicated. It was like cut off from the people of God, cut off from the family of God. It was like they were cut off, and it was it. So they were fearful because of that. And so, just imagine this, like, their son who they had raised, who was born blind and lived his entire life in blindness, never saw nothing a day in his life. Now, all of a sudden, he's healed. He can see. And I just imagine these parents like unable to fully rejoice with their son, maybe in the, maybe possibly the most significant event experience of their lives up to this point, this miraculous thing happening where their son is suddenly able to see and unable to really fully rejoice because of the fact that they're living in fear of, well, we don't want to get kicked out. What, what's going to happen to our son? What's going to happen to us? You know, and just living in this fearful state. And so that's an aspect that's created. That's an atmosphere that is, that is fostered, that is harvested when you allow a religious spirit to operate or when you operate out of a religious spirit that the result is fear. The result is manipulation. The result is these things that are just inconsistent with the way that God thinks and with the way that God treats us, okay? So again, the first thing that we looked at was the disciples, and it was this idea that, well, if if there's sickness going on, if there's something that's out of place, then it must be because of sin. You know, it's this idea of blaming and condemning and pointing the finger and all of that. 
And then we have the parents who are operating in this spirit of fear really because of the system of oppression, the religious system that they were living in at that time. Verse 24, so they again called the man who was blind and said to him, give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know that I was blind. Now I see. Come on. I love that verse. That's verse 25. Then they said to him again, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already. (laughs) I told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? I love this. Do you also want to become his disciples? So (laughs) you've got this guy. He's been healed. He's been healed. He's been completely healed in a miraculous way. He knows that it was miraculous. He knows that only God could have done what just happened to him. And so now you have these religious leaders and they're asking all these questions. They're just questioning, but they're not questioning because they're curious. They're questioning because they're trying to control and manipulate the situation. So they're trying to just figure out a way to explain this thing that's not God because it can't be God because he's not one of us because he's not part of our group. Yeah, there's a lot of that going on today too. You know, if you're not with us, you're against us. If you're not part of our group, you know, we're the group that's right. Our denomination is right. Our church is right. Our thought system is right. We have all the answers. And when you do that, that's called a religious spirit. And it will cause you to ostracize people. It will cause you to marginalize people. It will cause you to miss out on what God is doing. Uh, you know, if you go back into into church history through like the Protestant Reformation, there were times where um, the, the 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 Catholic Church actually where where miracles took place within the Catholic Church and and healing took place and and, and things like that. You know, pretty fairly few and far between in terms of um, uh, widely you know understood and accepted miracles. But what happened was on the other side there were Protestants who said, oh, well, those must be false miracles. And they termed them false miracles because God couldn't be moving in that context. God couldn't be moving in that kind of atmosphere because it's not the way that we do things, right? And so when we have that attitude, that's called a religious spirit. They didn't have to agree with everything that the Catholic Church was doing, but they didn't have to just assume at the same time that there was no way that God would do that, that there's no way that there could be any sort of power or miraculous thing taking place in that context, in that environment. You know, whenever you feel like you've got all the answers and it's just you and you know everything and like, come on, come on, none of us do. None of us do. We've all got different expressions and we've got different, you know, beliefs and we've got these different things. Of course, you know, we should agree on the basic things, of course, the basic things of the faith, absolutely. Jesus is the only way to heaven. He's the only way to salvation. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, when it comes to some of these like peripheral things, these peripheral viewpoints, and we start pointing the finger and condemning and saying that they're not with us, they're against us, and they, what, you know, all these different things that we do. Come on, guys, it's just, it's just wrong. Our fight's not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers and the forces of darkness in heavenly places. But as long as we're directing our fight and wrestling against flesh and blood and against people, then we're not waging war the right way and a battle is going on that we're not even fighting in. And it's just, it's not good. All right, let me keep going. Let me get to the last uh, point here. 
So he answered them, I told you already you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Now he's just, I feel like he's being, I feel like there's some sarcasm there. Do you also want to become his disciples? Like, why are you asking me all these questions? Then they reviled him and said, you are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. All right. All right. All right. Let me point this last attitude out. All right. Here's what, here's what they're doing. They're denying the power of God. You know, the Bible says that there's a such thing as having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Here's the last, um, the last mindset or attitude of this uh, religious spirit that I want to point out. And it's powerless, presenceless Christianity. This, this idea that Christianity can be presenceless and powerless. And it's just simply, that, that's not what God intended. It's not. So if you, if you look at the Pharisees and what their deal was and what they were all about, you know, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they were about controlling the system. They were about maintaining the status quo. There, there's this scripture in, um, in John chapter 5. It's verses 39 and 40. Jesus is talking to them. He's talking to the religious leaders. And he says, you search the scriptures, the scriptures, the Bible, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. And these, these scriptures are they which testify of me. And he says, but you are unwilling to come to me that you may have life. The thing is, everything, this entire Bible, this entire book, it all testifies of Jesus. It all reveals Jesus. It's all about Jesus. John chapter 1 says that Jesus is the word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He is the Word. Now, what I'm about to say doesn't in any way belittle the, the importance and the power of Scripture. Let me just tell you, this Bible is the most valuable thing that I own, and I own several of them. It's the authority of my life. It is the authority of all of our lives. It is the inspired Word of God. It is the spoken and revealed Word of God. It absolutely is. It absolutely is, all right? And so, I'm not in any way trying to say that this is not a, less important than it is, all right? But, G, but when, we, when the Bible talks about itself, we should pay attention to that. And so here you have Jesus, the Word, talking about the Word. And he's like, you search these scriptures, Pharisees, religious people, you search these scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. You think you do, but the thing is you're not allowing it to point you to me so that you can come to me so that you can have life because there is no life apart from Jesus. There is no hope apart from Jesus. There is no salvation apart from Jesus. You can read this Bible as a philosophical thing and you can look at the rules and the regulations and you can read the genealogies and you can get really astute and you can memorize stuff and you can do all of that. But if at the end it doesn't point you to who Jesus is, then it's not profiting you anything. It's really not. It's really not. This isn't like a magic pill that because you own one and it's picking up dust in the corner or whatever, that it's actually doing anything for you. It's not. It doesn't work like that. It's not magic. It's inspired. It is the Word of God. But you have to read it and you have to allow the Spirit of God to illuminate it to you because it, it reveals Jesus. It reveals the Father. It reveals the Holy Spirit. It reveals to you who God is. So we absolutely need the Word of God. It is, it is absolutely essential for our lives and for our growth not saying that it's not, but it's supposed to lead us to Jesus. 
And this was the mistake that they were making. It was just business as usual. It was just status quo. It was we know everything. It was we search the scriptures and we're holy and we're good and we're righteous and we follow the law. We obey the law. So they say in this verse, verse 28, they're like, you are Jesus' disciple. We are Moses' disciple. Thinking that they were saying something, you know, profound. Thinking that they were saying, but they're actually condemning themselves because Jesus was there to not abolish, but to fulfill the Old Testament law. Moses was the figure of the Old Testament law. The Torah, the first five books of the Bible, written by Moses. It's, that's where we find the law. And the law was given by God, and it came through Moses, and it was good. But Jesus came because that season was over. Hebrews will tell you that the, um, that the law had a time limit attached to it, that it was only there for a, a specified period of time. But once Jesus came and fulfilled completely the Old Covenant law, then it's obsolete. I'm not making that up. It's in Hebrews. It's obsolete. It became obsolete. Why? Because we now live under a new covenant. Now, I'm not saying that the Torah or any of the Old Testament is not relevant for your life today. It absolutely is. But I'm saying in terms of living under that Old Covenant law, it's not necessary anymore because Jesus came and he established a new law, a better covenant based on better promises in his blood. And he sacrificed himself on the cross once and for all time. It's done. It is finished. And so we don't live in this place where we have to do this in order to get this, where we could only do stuff on these days of the week, but not this day of the week, because if you do it on that day of the week, then you're a sinner and, and you know, we have to condemn. Like it's, it's, it's not that, it's not that. And if you want to, you know, the principles of the Sabbath and the principles of those things, I have no problem with any of that. But here's the thing, if you are condemning somebody, I'm not talking to anybody specifically out there, but the Pharisees, they were condemning Jesus for getting somebody healed because of the day of the week that it took place on. That's not love. That's not compassion. And that's what this book is about. And that's what this relationship with God is about. And that's what walking with people through life is about. It's about demonstrating love demonstrating compassion, demonstrating the Father heart of God to people all around us and living in a living relationship with Jesus. When we have this attitude that it's you're with me or you're against me, we have this judgmental attitude, we have this attitude that's coming from a motivation of fear, or we have this attitude um, that's like, denying the presence of God, denying the power of God, then we're missing out on what Jesus really came to give us and what he really came to accomplish for us. It's about life with Jesus, a a living relationship with the living God. And that is what we have access to. So let me just finish up the story here. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to them, Why, this is a marvelous thing that you do not know where he is from, yet he has opened my eyes. Verse 31, Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered and said to him, You were completely born in sins, and you are teaching us? 
and they cast him out. So they they excommunicated the guy. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Once he knew who was in front of him, once he knew that it was the Son of God that had opened his eyes, his first response was to worship. And that right there shows the difference between this man and the religious leaders. And it shows that he was operating in a different spirit than the religious spirit that so many others were operating in throughout this story. So he just, his immediate heart response was to worship. And here's the thing, when we direct our heart we direct our love, when we direct our attention and our affection and our worship, we direct ourselves toward God and He is our focus, then what happens is we open ourselves up to experience His presence and His power working in our lives. We see opportunities because the more we fall in love with Him, the more we fall in love with people, the more we fall in love with Him, the more we learn to be led by the Spirit of God. The more Jesus is revealed in us, the more grace is brought to us. I think it's 2 Peter, is it 1 Peter or 2 Peter? It's one of the Peters, chapter 1, verse 13. Grace is brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so when the, the grace is brought to you as Jesus is revealed more and more to you. And so as you read this book and as you go to church and as you worship and pray and as you do the different things that you do, as you have conversations with people, let these things lead you to the discovery of who Jesus is. Not just religious uh, ascent, not just theological astuteness or anything like that. Not that being theologically astute is bad. It's absolutely not. I wish I was more theologically astute. <laughs> but here's the deal. Don't let it stop there. It's always supposed to lead you to the person, to the presence of Jesus. And if you read this book and it doesn't lead you to discover Jesus, then something's missing. The most important part of the puzzle is missing. So I just simply wanted to encourage you this week. Uh, well, I don't know if this was encouraging or not because I was pointing out some negative stuff here. But there are some attitudes, and there are some um, at, yeah, there are some attitudes of the heart that will definitely keep you stationary and stagnant. They'll cause you to be critical. They'll cause you to judge people. They'll cause you to miss out on opportunities to experiencing the presence and the power of God, the moving of the Holy Spirit in your life, both for you personally and for you like moving in that power and, and, uh, and moving in that love and compassion to demonstrate it to the world around you in blessing others. And so don't allow that to be the case, but let worship be the principal desire of your life. Remember who you are. Remember whose you are. Remember that you are a worshiper by nature and that we're not operating out of these things. We're not operating out of a, of a religious spirit. We're not operating out of fear. We're not operating out of something that's powerless or presenceless. You know, Christianity is not business as usual. You know, people say it's not, it's not personal, it's just business. Well, this is not business, it's personal, all right? It's personal. This is a personal relationship with Jesus. And the more you discover Jesus, the more you're positioned to demonstrate him to the world around you, the more his love and compassion will come out of you and be revealed to those around you. Let's not operate in a critical spirit. Let's not put other people in a box just because we're not where they are or they're not where we are or whatever. 
but let's wrap our arms around the people that we're surrounded with and demonstrate authentically the nature of who Jesus is and who the Father is to the world around us. All right, guys. Well, thanks so much for being here this week. I really appreciate it. I know that this was longer because I had to go through like a whole chapter to kind of get my thoughts out. Hope it came across for you all. I hope you have an awesome, awesome week. We'll be back next Monday. Hey, if this uh, episode was a blessing to you, if you got anything out of it, if you would just maybe put it up on your social media or share it with somebody that you think could benefit from listening to it as well, I promise you, I say this every week, but I say it because I really, really mean it. It really would mean the world to me, and I really appreciate you being here. So thanks so much for your time. You could be doing a lot of other things with your time, but I appreciate you taking the time to uh, spend some time with me here and check this out. So uh, have an awesome week, and I'll see you next time.